It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? You're going to text us, send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. This is a special sales kickoff edition of Accelerate with my special guest, two times best-selling author, speaker, consultant, Mike Weinberg. Mike, how you doing? Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me back. So Mike is a leading expert on new business development and sales management. Certainly, you've all read his new book, Sales Management Simplified, and he's just a person to talk with us about how to kick off your sales year at the best start possible. So Let's just jump right into it. I got, here's a tough question for you. What's your what's your personal sales resolution for 2016? Well, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to spend more time for my own business, my sales resolution. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to be pickier about what deals I take and and look to work on the type of projects that are more fun. As you and I both know, there are a lot of companies with broken sales organizations or just looking for help. And um, some are a joy to work with, and some are not. And I'm going to be a little more selective this year. Well, let's help the people who are listening that might want to hire you self-identify whether they're fun to work with or not. So what are the criteria of a company that's fun to work with? <laughs> um, that's a really interesting question because I, my fun clients are really diverse. I have large clients you know, from big corporations that I love. And then I have large clients that are torture because of procurement departments and master services agreements and executives that are held hostage to purchasing departments that can't make decisions without some low-level purchasing weenie signing off on something. I mean, it's crazy. So I'm going to try to avoid the the, the red tape companies that have somehow overempowered their uh, their back office people to run the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I still, you know, Andy's funny. I'm still a small company guy at heart. And I love going, I don't care if it's a 10 million or a 50 million or even a couple hundred million dollar company. When you can really move the needle by working with sales leadership and uh, a sales team, um, you can impact a whole business if, if you do a good job coaching and consulting. And that's that's harder to do in a larger company because there's just so many, you know, it's so diverse. There's so many uh, things in, in play, so complex that it's harder to make big changes. And usually when you're in the very, very big companies, you're, you're viewed as you know one vendor, or you 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 fit in a slot that they've got you know budget for for improving sales. But right. 
you're not having the type of conversation you're having with the owner of a hundred million dollar company where you're making some significant impact. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's true for me too. I mean, when I do coaching, and I don't do as much now as I used to, but when I do coaching, it's it's yeah, it's it's fun if I can do it with the CEO, because mm. then I know that we're gonna get buy-in to do what needs to be done. Well, and, you know, we'll get to this, I'm sure, today because we as we circle back on sales leadership, but so many times the the issue when we get brought into a company because the executive wants you to fix sales or help out sales and we get in there and yeah the sales team could do better they can be more strategic and targeting they can fix their their story and their value prop they can run better discovery sales calls they can present with you know in a more compelling way they can own their calendar in a in, in a deeper way and be more committed to new business and those are all true and you and I see that all the time but a lot in a lot of the cases the real the real sales issue is right back in the office of that senior person that's engaging us in the first place and it's it's them and the culture they're creating and the work environment and the comp plan and the lack of accountability or lack of clarity or burying the poor manager in in a load of crap so he never gets to work on the high values of so in a smaller company you can actually say that to somebody and and make a difference you know and a lot of times in the larger client it's like well it just is that way here you know and you're just kind of moving pieces around trying to improve a few things, but you're not making radical shifts in the way, unless you have a very, very senior executive who's completely bought in. So what do you do if you're a working at the company, you got a CEO that's brought you in, you, Mike Weinberg, brought you in, and or is talking about bringing you in, and the sales leader themselves, meh, they haven't bought in yet. Yeah, that's you know I've I've seen this uh, more than more than once, <laughs> where um, the 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 owner or the CEO or very senior person wants to drive sales at a faster rate and knows there's room for improvement, and the the sales leader is either a little insecure or a little overconfident that they got it all together. Um, the way I've seen it best positioned is kind of like the. You know, we'd go, I'm going to use the Tiger Woods analogy, even though it doesn't hold. It might as well be Jordan Spieth now or something. Let's use Rory or Jordan Spieth. You know, uh, Jordan Spieth has a, has a golf coach. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty darn confident that every day of the week and twice on Sunday, Jordan, if he went head-to-head match play against his coach, would kick his butt. Right? So there's no, one, no one's questioning whether Jordan's a better golfer than his coach. But he uses a coach because he can reflect stuff to him. So mm-hmm. part of the, I think, the easy way to sell to a, a manager that – isn't sure he's ready for help is that some of the very best people in the world have coaches. Some of the best CEOs have personal, quiet, you know, confidential coaching no, absolutely. And consultants. And so do, so do sales managers and so do athletes. And I, you know, I, the thing I say is I, I spent a fortune on personal development and I, I mean, I paid a guy a ton of money a couple of years ago to coach me and I immediately changed my behavior because I wanted to get an ROI. So I, I, I mean, you know, I was doing well, but I wanted to do better. And I, I hired someone that was had a lot of exposure to help people like me, and he was great. So I think I think if you position it in the positive and not as much of a threat, there's a better chance of them, you know, accepting it a little more easily. Okay, so let's start at the beginning now. We're going to get into our kickoff. What's the number one thing that companies should do to prepare for a new sales year that they don't normally do? Mm. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... Uh, cliche on you to start this off. I was thinking about this when you mentioned it a few minutes ago for the kickoff. I want to remind everybody what the definition of insanity is and say that's a heck of a way to start the year, to sit down and go, all right, let's just ask ourselves, what the heck 
uh, are we doing wrong or what, what strategies did we try to implement sales-wise last year that did not work? What were we doing in the way we approached the market and the way we made phone calls and the way we told our story and the types of uh, target prospects we went after that absolutely failed? Because if, if, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and accepting, uh, expecting a different result, you're an idiot and maybe you're insane. So I think it's a really good time even right now to sit down and go, what worked and what didn't? Let's stop doing what didn't or at least tweak it and then let's look back at some of our success stories. I've done this with several clients. We look at where did the real business come from and let's refocus our energy to double down or, or even triple the amount of effort we put on the things that are working. So I think that's a really simple place to start. Where did all your business come from last year and can you replicate that? And it, maybe you need to make adjustments in the areas that, that we're not producing as hoped. I would start right there. Or maybe drop those areas. Oh, right? totally. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to focus, yeah. if you're going to double down, triple down on something that worked and try to replicate successes, then, yeah, maybe you just don't have time for those other ones. Absolutely. Yeah, unless there's some strategic initiative or something. But as you said, then maybe it needs to be tweaked. So what what's in your mind? What's the key for good goal setting then? I mean, it seems to me it's it's very slapdash in most most companies. You know, I've seen too many where they management sets this, you know, big hairy goal that really has no no chance of being achieved at all. Yeah, there's that's a very demoralizing at the start it of the is, year. It is demoralizing, and it's hard. You know, sometimes we have uh, executives that are thinking they're in high growth mode, but the the marketplace nor the history dictates that they are. But they 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 still want to put that big old you know hairy s goal out there. I, I think sometimes the best way to do it is to to do it collaboratively. In, in a collaborative way, and you, you get the sales team or the individual salespeople involved with their leader, and you talk through different layers of goals. Like I think you could have some kind of budget number that you got to give to the bank and that the CFO operates under. But then I think you want to have a sales, a real sales goal, a stretch number that's that's beyond quota, that's beyond the minimum, and then you build your sales plan off of that larger number. But I think it's it's really good to get the salespeople writing individual business plans where they're articulating their personal goals. What do they want out of this year? How much new business do they want to close? And what does that look like in terms of number of deals, number of new clients, number of big cross-sell opportunities? And maybe if, if you have a really a good comp plan and, and uh, wise salespeople, um, you even have them uh, share their income goals. And you, and you commit to those on paper, and we all know what happens when you write down your plan and your goals is all the data Right? I mean, this is as old as the hills. Uh, you write down your goals and you hold yourself accountable and you share them with somebody. You're a whole lot more likely to be emotionally invested in that and be accountable to hit them. So I think that's a great place to start. So let's talk about that sales planning because <clears throat> this, is, this is really a crucial part, I think, for many companies is that, yeah, they're not asking the sales reps or maybe even management sometimes to actually do a formal written plan. And... It's so crucial, as you said, you have accountability, but also it forces people to think about what they're actually going to do. So what's your recommendation in terms of like, what should that look like, that plan? Well, I think I, first of all, I think it's a non-negotiable that every sales team should assign each salesperson to write an individual annual business plan. And I'll talk through some of the categories I think that are, that are important there. And I had, back in December, I mean, I went through this with several clients where we took a template and then we tweaked it based on their business. And I don't, I don't just want the the salespeople to be assigned to write this plan, I want them to come back together in front of the sales team and in front of senior management and present their plans, maybe 20 minutes each, and then face some questions. The act of writing the plan and then the, then the further act of presenting it to your peers, I mean, it, it's the best thing you could do. You get great feedback. You get wisdom in the room to stop you from doing something stupid. 
new people benefit from wise veterans' perspective. Um, the man, it's like a gift to the manager because he gets to see who's thinking and who's not, who can present and who can't. I mean, I'm a big, big, big proponent of the annual business plan. Uh, some of the categories, I think I have a real basic template. In fact, this is probably one of the most popular uh, blog posts uh, I've ever written. Every month, this gets found almost more than any post, and I'll send you uh, the link to include with the, your show notes here. Sure. Uh, it's about writing individual business plans. And the categories I like to see in there, I'll just run through them real quick, and then we can go through specifics if you want. Uh, goals is first because we start with the end in mind, you know, right-to-left thinking. So mm-hmm. what, do you, what do we want to achieve? The next big section I call strategies, and it's the how. Well, how are you going to achieve those goals? And that could include everything from target account lists to markets you're going to pursue to some of your improving your sales weapons and all that stuff. So what are the strategies you're going to implement to hit those goals? And that what I think what flows logically next would be actions. What actions are you going to commit to as an individual seller that, as you implement your strategy? So that could be metrics and everything from number of hours blocked to number of outbound phone calls to one of my favorite metrics is meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. How many meaningful conversations? And that could be email. could be email dialogue. could be phone. could be face-to-face. But I, there's some metric where you know people, they know, they know they're doing their job. So you so you got goals, you got strategies, you got actions, and then the last one, well, the last major one I like to put in there is obstacles. And I, I here's my theory: uh, failure is not an option. And I think most salespeople know in January if they're not going to hit their sales goal in December. If they think the goal's not realistic or they're not properly equipped to succeed, they could probably give you the reasons right now. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if they've got obstacles like there's not enough sales engineers or enough estimating support or they're laptop is too slow or they've got family issues getting in the way of selling or travel or who knows anti-sales culture lack of operations support you name it there's a whole list of things it could be if you ask salespeople actually articulate those excuses on the front end then management has a chance to, de- to debunk those excuses or better equip the team and go okay I hear you that's legit we're gonna help you with that because um, I don't want to hear the excuse in September when you're you know so far behind well because you probably knew those reasons going in and then the last category I like on a business plan is personal development or growth. I think it's important for salespeople to invest in their own development and to articulate where do they want to grow this year. And you might list books, blogs, conferences, courses, uh, you know, mastermind groups, peer coaching. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do to, uh, without even paying money, right, to develop your own self as a, as a professional seller. So if you put those categories on paper, your goals, your strategies, your actions, uh, the obstacles that are in your way and what you want to do to grow as a professional. That's a heck of a little document, you know, and you can use that all year long to hold yourself accountable. And frankly, Andy, I think that document is a gift, a gift to the sales manager. Because, I mean, you want to hold someone accountable or you're having a monthly one-on-one, grab their business plan and go sit in their office and go, hey, you said you're going to execute this strategy to hit your goals. And I'm looking at you and it's February and you haven't done one of these things yet. So what happened? <laughs> you know, I mean, how easy is that to, to, to look at the guy and say, hey, it was your plan. You wrote it, not me. You said you're going to do this. You're not. Are we planning to fail or did something else get in the way? And that usually leads to some very interesting one-on-one conversations. Yeah, I like it. So I, I might add a couple things to that, though. Do you yeah, mind if I it. intrude on your sales plan? I will Make it better, buddy. <laughs> so what I like to do is start with what I call calculating the lead deficit. And so I think that Everybody needs to be able to quantify 
the activities, the level of activities that they need to undertake to hit the goal. So I have the simple calculation and formula I use to say, look, without getting, you know, too elaborate here on, on the radio program, but and I'll put it out online so people see it, is is calculate, you can, there's, I have a calculation that you can go through based on your conversion rate in prior years, the number of uh, inbound leads you can expect to receive. Basically, you calculate how many opportunities you need to proactively develop in order to hit your number. Mm. And that then says, okay, well, that's going to inform all these goals I have about how many calls I need to make and you know how many meaningful conversations I need to have and so on because you have it's based, it's based on what you did the prior year and it gives you uh, like I said it's, you become sort of well you remove a lot of the ambiguity about what it is you're targeting because it's not just a dollar number it gets you down at the baseline level of what I have to do at activity level to hit that dollar number so that's well, one I thing I like to add to plans I hope your listeners are, are taking notes on that Andy that you just put a lot of wisdom and a lot of teeth and a lot of good sales math into that business plan. I, I'm with you. That's really good. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll send you the formula so you, you get it. But it'll be online. People want to see it. This the show notes will have a link to my article for lead deficit. Um, the other thing, though, too, that I, it's, to me is very important and is interesting in your take on this is I think the plan should have a 90-day horizon. Because I think what happens is people get so involved and so many things then happen that you don't anticipate that if anything beyond 90 days, you know, the, the integrity of the plan starts starts waning a little bit. Not necessarily the ultimate goal, but, you know, the components in terms of what they're doing to get there. Because mm. it could be that maybe they aren't hitting their number, maybe they've smashed their number, maybe they found a certain type of client they hadn't anticipated that they go out and replicate those successes and the plan becomes, you know, somewhat meaningless as it was written. That's good. So are you saying, let me ask you this, are you saying that you like a quarterly plan and, and you start all over? Or are you saying you like an annual plan and you have a serious review of it every three months to evaluate progress? I like a quarterly plan. Oh, I like that. So you're going to do, you're going to do a fresh, you're, you're saying you're not just going to tweak it. We're going to do a fresh plan every quarter. We're going to sit down and relook at everything yeah. we did, yeah. Because it, it doesn't take that long. Once you've put in the work up front, right, in January or December when you do it, it's, it is basically a review, but what, what needs to be adjusted based on what's happened so far? So now second quarter is completely different than first quarter. And I think 90 days, to, in my experience, has always been, as we get past 90 days, boy, people have written good plans, but they just, like I said, lose some of the relevance after that period of time. You know, one thing I really like about that is I'm, I'm, I'm processing, is it, it also gives you a chance from, uh, it stops you from selling yourself short. You know, if, if you're going to have a blowout year and, and your first quarter you kill it, then you should really ramp up your accountability on yourself for the next quarter. Absolutely. So you're not so you're not resting on your laurels because I think a lot of times we plan short because we're trying to sandbag or we're trying to be careful or we're scared of what success might look like. So we don't think big enough. And I think the way you're describing it, I, I like that because you could really launch yourself to totally new levels right in the middle of the year once you realize you're onto something instead of just sitting back and being so proud of yourself that you blew your numbers away. Stretch yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So those are my two inputs for your sales plan. Well, now it's our sales plan and it's getting better. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll have to write an ebook about this together. All right. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after the break with my favorite guest of all time, Mr. Mike Weinberg. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. 
Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, welcome back. With special edition of Sales Kickoff Week with Mike Weinberg, best-selling author. How is that second book doing, by the way? Sales Management Simplified. Thanks for asking. I'm kind of blown away. You know, the sales management is a smaller audience, so the publisher really tried to help me temper my expectations. But it's selling at the pace of a sales book right now, and it's got a ton of reviews on Amazon. And no one has threatened my life yet because I did, I did worry. There are some true stories in there, and there are some probably not so happy people about uh, the expose angle of, of the book where I, I told the truth about sales executives and, and business owners. So um, I'm really pleased with the traction and I'm pleased with the salespeople that are reading it because they want to know what great sales leadership and what a healthy sales culture should look like, even if they're not in management or even aspiring to management. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the traction. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's a great book. I wrote my own review on Amazon for you. I know, and I'm very appreciative. It <laughs> <laughs> was a great book. So let's talk about messaging because you had brought up messaging. Right, okay, we've got our plan in place, but you know where the rubber really meets the road is where you got to go out and you have to just actually have to start talking to someone. So how does a company look at their messaging and how do they improve it, refresh it? How do they find out whether it's working, not working? That's good. You know, this may be the issue I spend the most time on with clients. Um, and it's not by choice, it's by need. Uh, just there aren't a lot of companies that put the effort into equipping the sales team with messaging, with what I call the sales story, someone else might call the value proposition, whatever whatever language you want to put on there. Um, they Even if, they do, if they're really good at marketing, somehow it doesn't translate into sales language the salespeople can use in their personal selling efforts, in emails, uh, in, in voicemails, on the phone, in uh, what you might use to position yourself early in a discovery sales call once you're in a dialogue. So there's a huge opportunity to upgrade messaging. And if there's one theme that I, I would suggest, particularly at this time of the year, can, can we take a look at all the messaging we're doing outbound, uh, whether it's personal selling or by marketing, and evaluate what is the focus or who is the focus? Because the greatest sin when it comes to telling our story or messaging is that we talk about ourselves, we lead with our product, our solution, or our company. And it becomes all about what we do instead of what we achieve for our clients and our customers. And the fastest way, I think, to get relegated to vendor status and commodity seller or to just have your messages ignored is by talking about what you do. We do this. We do that. We're a supplier. We're a manufacturer. Or then we start talking about our own company. We've been in business 89 years. We're privately held. You know, la da 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 da. Andy, nobody cares. They don't care what you do, and they don't care how smart you are. They want to know what you're going to do for them. And there's a big difference. So my strongest, uh, I mean, I implore companies, look at your messaging and ask this question: Are you leading with what you do, or are you leading with what you achieve? For your clients, so there's there's a bunch of issues that you know your company addresses for its clients. You take away certain pains, you solve certain problems, you help clients capture certain opportunities, and there are outcomes or results that you help them achieve. Right? 
those are the things we need to lead with in our messaging. It, and so if you, because if, 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 if your story is really compelling, it's centered on issues that are already on your prospect's mind. And yes. that way, when you, when, you, when you reach out to them and you're on the phone or you're in prospecting mode in email or you're face-to-face, when the first things out of your mouth are things that are on their mind, they immediately put their defenses down and see you as someone who could bring value. Because if you're helping other companies and other people with those issues, you certainly can help them. So that's a mini sermon that I'm not sure you wanted that at length. No, I think it's great. I think but it's, it's great. It's, it's it, huge. It's a, no one does this. And it drives me crazy. Yeah, uh, Tom Searcy, who's an author, I think you're familiar with. You know, he he talks about this and in, in the context of saying he calls it a, a lead me job, right? I mean, you're leading the prospect, and that when you have that first conversation, as you're talking about, you're talking about yeah, what you do that helps them achieve results. And even though it may not be specifically what they want initially, when you're making that first contact, he says at least you're in the neighborhood, right? And then your next job is to find the house number that you want within that neighborhood. And I thought it was a great way to talk about it, right? Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I agree. Because you know, because a lot of times people tell me, well, how do you know what to talk about? Because you haven't, you haven't had the conversation and research only tells you so much. And you know what I say? Yeah, you're in this business. You know the five big issues that your clients face. Pick three of them with your best guess and throw them out there, as you would say, in, as time was like, in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. And you're going to be close enough. I, right. In my business, I do it all the time. There's four or five or six big issues I know executives have with their sales team. So when someone's, and I'll, this is the example I'll give Andy, this will be helpful for the listeners. When someone says to me, Mike, what do you do or tell me about your business? And that's a common question that everybody gets asked. Mm-hmm. And, and salespeople get asked that all the time. So I have a choice. When someone says, what do you do, Mike, or tell me about your business, I could do the lazy, easy thing and say, oh, thanks for asking. I'm a consultant, I'm a trainer, a speaker, and a best-selling author, which is the worst possible thing I could say because who the heck wants a speaker or an author or a consultant? No one's looking for that. But if they say if I if they say what do you do and I go I mean, thanks for asking uh, senior executives look to me when and that's a bridge line that I created um, that then that's all in chapter eight in my first book new sales simplified uh, you can put in the the type of customer or the type of position so I could say senior executives or I could say manufacturers or tech companies uh, you know uh, CFOs so I'll say senior executives look to me when and then I'll list off the four or five big issues I see with sales teams. They're frustrated. Their salespeople live in reactive mode. They're trying to create a team of proficient hunters. Uh, results aren't what they should be. Sales management's in a rut. Need some outside perspective. Um, they can't tell their story, and they're they're getting diminished to vendor status and commoditized. And they want to be able to articulate value. I say those four or five things to a senior executive. I'm in. Their, their guard comes down. And they go, Oh my gosh, you're helping people with that. I have those issues. We should talk. And anyone that's listening to this can do the exact same exercise and come up with that list of those five big things to get them in the neighborhood and then get the, 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 uh, the prospect to put their guard down and want to talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that, I think that's that. Tom's description of the neighborhood, brilliant. You know what the neighborhood is. You live in that neighborhood. Right? You don't necessarily know what house you're going to, but you live in that neighborhood. And that's why I think it's a great way or a great model for people to think about in terms of we already know this. We know what the customer wants. We may not know specifically, but we know enough. Doug, as you said, break down those initial barriers. Yeah, Andy, if, if we were given beginning of the year advice, which we are, I mean, if someone said to me, Mike, what are the three things to do this year to grow my sales? I would say, number one, fix your sales story right now. Take an hour, take a day, take a week, fix your story so you have a long, powerful list of compelling reasons customers turn to you. And then you can fill that in afterwards with why you're better and different. But you lead with the customer issues. That would be issue number one. Fix your story. Issue number two would be sharpen your focus on who you're targeting. 
so many companies are taking for granted who their salespeople are pursuing. It's worth more energy. That's where you do your strategy. That's where you decide how you spend your time. So fix your story, sharpen your target list, and then finally the third thing would be take back control of your calendar and act like it's a new year and you're going to stop living in reactive mode and start carving out time for proactive selling to work on the things that you know you need to work on to move the revenue needle. I'm telling you, if you do those three things, you're going to kick butt. Yeah, and I think in, in align with part two is a message for a lot of sales managers is sometimes less is more when it comes into your pipeline. Sometimes less is more. So now's time to sort of reset your thinking to think, okay, I want more high quality, well-qualified, targeted prospects in my pipeline. In an aggregate, that may be a fewer number, but I'm going to convert a much higher percentage of those. And that's going to eventually make us more efficient, more effective in our selling. We'll be able to generate more and more activity. But having that focus really is key. And starting off the year that way, I think going through and slicing and dicing the pipeline, getting rid of the crap so people really start fresh, really important. Absolutely. That's all you're going to say about that? I liked it. I, I, <laughs> it was big enough to let it sit all by itself. All right. I was throwing it to you. You didn't take it out. Okay. There we go. All right. So I've got some, you know, the first time we spoke, I had some rapid fire questions for you. I've got some new ones now. Uh-oh. You scared me last time with these. So let's see if I can do better. Okay. So actually these are a little more generic, but let's go through them here. So what's the one most important thing a new or inexperienced salesperson should focus on to improve in 2016? Ooh, the one thing. The vocabulary of the customer. To have words in your vernacular that you can call on conversationally that the customer can relate to. If you're talking one language and your customer's talking another, you are screwed. So I would I would be a student of what's going on in your industry and what's going on in your customer's world so they hear you when you speak. A great answer. And one of the best ways to do that is go out with more experienced salespeople and see what they do. Right? If you haven't and, done yeah, that. I'm a huge fan. Do your ride-alongs. Peer, yes, peer coaching. I have gotten so much benefit. My, my best friend's a guy named Rob, one of my best friends for a long time. Uh, he lives in Minnesota. He's a top sales guy. I'm not going to name his, his industry, uh, but he's a top guy. He makes a fortune. And you know what? For years, we've shared numbers with each other. We push each other on deals. Sometimes he calls me to talk deal strategy, and I call him to talk deal strategy. We're in totally different industries. It's so helpful to have a peer, you know, who's, who wants to see me succeed, and he knows me well enough to tell me the truth. What would happen if, if every sales guy had a buddy that they pushed each other and they were for each other's success and they set goals together and they did pipeline reviews? I mean, you wouldn't even need a manager. I, I, I challenge people to try that. Huge way to improve. Love it. Peer coaching. Great answer. Okay, so what's the one thing an experienced sales rep should focus on improving in 2016? offloading low-value activities and being more selfish with their calendar. If you're really good, what would happen to your results if you could double the time you spent in your highest-value activities that really move the sales needle? I think the raw truth is most people spend a very low percentage of their time doing the most important things. Right. And that's really true of sales managers as well as salespeople. Oh, it's honestly, Andy, it's true of everybody. It's true of you and me and our peers in our business. It's true of executives. It's true of salespeople. The, I think the guy who's winning today, the most effective executive, the most effective consultant, the most effective seller is the one who best owns his or her calendar and 
keeps out the crap, stops looking for people to put work on their desk or to live in reactive mode, and they work on what they know is going to produce results. I, it's, it's true in everybody's life. And, it, and it, here's the hard part. It requires you to be a little more selfish and a little bit less accessible. And in today's politically correct environment and where it's a game in some of these large companies to see how many times you can invite someone to a meeting and you can get into their calendar and see when they're available, it's really hard to protect yourself from the corporate machine and other people trying to drag you into crap. But the ones who are really successful, they find a way to say no and they block their time and they're unavailable and they work on things that move the needle and that's why they're highly effective and that's why they're top producers. Excellent. So, tough question now. What sales book are you reading right now? I'm actually reading a couple books. Uh, there's a guy in St. Louis named Doug DeVetri mm-hmm. who's, who's got a book called Screen, screen to Screen Selling. Yeah, yeah. You know him? Yeah, I know Doug. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's been on the show. Yeah, and then we I mean, get this book selling. I mean, this is really good stuff, and he's so smart. Um, you know, he doesn't have the platform that we have, and and so we're, he's, he's reaching out to a lot of people. This is a great book about the reality of trying to sell from screen to screen. That's good stuff. And uh, I've got a, a friend is in, in a, kind of our network of circles, uh, Lee Sauls, who's a yes. sales management guru. And I don't know Lee well, but I really respect his content. And, and I just got a copy of his book. In fact, I'm reaching over here to grab it, make sure I get the exact title right. Higher it's, right, higher profits. Higher right, higher profits, because sales talent management is huge. Yes. And this is a, a really uh, short and pithy little book, and I just started it. And I'm, these are the two books I'm reading, Screen to Screen Selling and Higher Right, Higher Profits. Thank you for asking. Of course, <laughs> you know what's sitting on my shelf, well-highlighted. It's a very good-looking book. What's that? Amp Up Your Sales. Oh, really? Who wrote that? Um, I think a guy named Andy Paul wrote it, and I wrote a stunning review. I think it, most, it might be the most helpful review on Amazon. I think it, I think it was won an award, actually, for the most helpful review on Amazon. I thank you very much. I was with some guys uh, uh, just a week ago, and we were talking about you and your book and how great that book is and how valuable it is, the way you wrote that with those short chapters and just a very, very on-target device about speeding up the sales process. So, Excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah, kudos. Well, it was, it was fun to hear other people talking about it. Very cool. All right. Last question. This may be the hardest one of the interview so far. Keep getting harder. <laughs> what do the Cardinals have to do to beat the Cubbies next year? It's going to be hard. Uh, I'm actually, you know, I'm not from St. Louis. I live here. I've lived here 20 years. I'm from New York. So I don't have this anti-Chicago, anti-Cubs thing that all the people here have. But, you, but you do. You do have the Cardinal thing going, though. I do have the Cardinal thing. I think that Joe Madden is a phenomenal manager, and they have spent a fortune, and that team has young aggressive talent and they have payroll to spend it's going to be tough i think the cardinals right now their big decision is deciding whether to pay this jason hayward who's their their free agent right mm-hmm. fielder who their the rumor is he could be a 25 million dollar a year player wow. i find that hard to believe um I, I think there's going to be some changes in the cardinals lineup more significant and uh i don't know i think it's going to be a brutal and the pirates i got a lot of friends in, in the sales world in pittsburgh these three teams are going to fight it out yeah, yeah, very good. And it's good. It's good for baseball, and it's good. You know, these are three, uh, three cities that love to compete, and um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was exciting, exciting baseball. I mean, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I thought watching the Cubs and the Cardinals and Pittsburgh go at it at the end of the year was great. Yeah, very exciting. Too. So, all right, well, Mike, pleasure having you as always. Hopefully, the guests got a lot of this out of the show for their kickoff of their sales this year. Play this at your sales meeting. Uh, tell people how they can learn more about you. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's so much fun talking sales with you. Uh, it's, there's a couple of places you can find me on Twitter 
It's Mike underscore Weinberg, W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G, Mike underscore Weinberg. And then uh, I'm not blogging as much as I should be, but my blog and my website is newsalescoach.com. When you're a world-famous sales author, you don't need to blog quite as much, right? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, you know, it's, it's that one of those high-value activities that I'm not doing enough of. Um, so, yeah, I, I told someone I need to stop trying to sell the book and actually sell my own services. <laughs> and you, I know that you know, anyone, anyone who's listening, and Andy, you know that's written a book, you know, you pour all that energy into the book and books don't sell themselves, so you, you spend all this time trying to move them, but you got you to run the business, too. It's hard to do everything. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So, well, hope everybody had a good time listening to the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is certainly an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure that you don't miss a single conversation with great business experts like our guest today, Mike Weinberg, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.